Zoe Hanamakuda is a recent graduate and published author of the young adult sci-fi novel Gear Breakers. In this episode of Traverse Talks, Zoe explains how she discovered more about her own identity as a half-Korean queer woman while writing the book. We'll discuss Asian representation in the media, how Generation Z is changing it, and how, at just 22, she's already made her Korean mother proud. A little jealous. This is Traverse Talks. I'm Sue Ann Ramella. Zoe, can you give the plot of Gear Breakers? Gear Breakers is about a nation um, that's controlling their underlings, the Badlands, with 200-foot mecha deities, and there are renegades out in the Badlands desert called Gear Breakers, and they're tasked with taking down these mechas from the inside out. So they infiltrate, and they mess around, and they'll topple the deity. And what happens is that um, Eris, who is a cold-hearted Gear Breaker, cold-hearted soldier, she gets captured by um, this evil nation called Godolia, and she meets Sona Steelcrest, who's one of the mecha pilots, and they find that they have similar loyalties, and they end up falling in love. And with that, like, I, I don't think I was specifically going into the project being like, yes, they're going to be like a sapphic love story type of thing. Just like halfway through Gear Breakers, I was like, oh, my God. Did not really suspect that I might have been queer, even though I was like halfway through this book. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm like fetishizing Sabbath relationships. Why am I doing this? And then like I finished the book and I was like, this is what I find romantic and it's sapphic and it's nice. That's so interesting. So it was during the creation of this book that you were learning about yourself and your your sexual identity. Well, how about your racial identity because the characters are also of Asian descent. So how how did you influence these characters with that? Yeah, so um, both my characters are half Korean. Um, Sona specifically, I was, if that's my demographic more, where she's half white and half Korean. And I just did that because, like, you know, it's, like, of course, easier to, like, write from your own demographic. But also, I didn't grow up, like, finding a lot of Asian, like, characters in media. So I was, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, it'd be, like, really cool if, like, someone who was growing up half white and half Asian, like, was able to find this representation when I necessarily didn't. Um, And just, like, it'd be cool to, I don't know, have some contributing factor to that. Yeah, it's a big deal. (laughs) I mean, you're younger than I am, so I assume that you had some shows like this, but no, really, it wasn't until the last, I don't know, maybe five years that we started seeing more representation on even Netflix. Oh, yeah, like the new League of Legends season. Netflix Arcane, like one of the characters, Caitlin, is is Asian, and I was like so thrilled. Oh my god, it's canon, and I feel represented, and I don't think like I, I really, you know, get excited about it until I see that representation. I'm like, this is nice. Like, I don't know why it's nice. Like, why is it nice to be represented because you're represented? But like, it's like hard to put into words. Just like, I don't know, it's like recognizable. Yes, well, and, and for me, it's, well, because I'm also half white, I could always identify with some of 
of the white girls, but never, uh, honestly, I'm so sorry if you're blonde, but the blonde cheerleader, <laughs> I, I couldn't, but the brunette, because sure. that's what yeah. they gave me, at least. I got the brunette brown eye girls, but when I started seeing more Asian characters, I was like, uh... A part of me felt like I could uh, release myself into that character and empathize through their storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I want to go back to you saying, um, Waijin. Tell me about this way of describing yourself. This is like a new term. I don't know what I was using for myself before. Um, I think I might have literally picked it up off of TikTok. I'm assuming it's Western Asian. I think it's it's white and Asian. So it's like really, yeah. You and I talked a little bit about being white passing. When did you notice that about yourself, and how are you learning more about yourself through that lens? I grew up in very like white neighborhoods, and I think I just like wasn't that connected to that side of my um, family. Like especially when we moved to Colorado, because. Originally, up until I was 12, we were living near D.C. where um, my mom's parents were. Um, but just, like, going to school and stuff, I was just, like, not surrounded by Asian kids. So, like, I think you just, like, end up identifying more with the white side of me. And it was, like, I never really thought that I really looked like my mom, which didn't really bother me. But it was definitely a thing where I was, like... Like, I never think of myself as diluted white, but I think I was always thinking of myself as, like, maybe diluted Korean. <laughs> like, mathematically, that's not correct. I don't know why I was, like, thinking of it like that, because it's not diluted white, not diluted Asian. I'm just, like, just both at the same time. But I really understand what you're saying. For me, it comes from an insecurity. Not enough this, but definitely can pass as that. Yeah. And, like, if I step into a Korean community, <laughs> I don't speak Korean. I can follow the, you know, the social cues, but um, I don't quite belong. Want to see behind-the-scenes photos and videos from local productions, pledge drives, and life around the NWPB studios? Then follow NWP Broadcasting on Instagram. So Sonia is part cyborg. You are part Korean, part of two cultures. How much of her character comes from you and your identity? Um, there's some scattered like references of like Korean culture in her background. It's not like super relevant to like the overall plot, but yeah, just for the purposes of Gearbreakers, it was like I wanted it almost to be like what I needed at the time, I guess. Um, trying to solidify that part of my identity to myself. Just, like, having her be half Korean and half white, like, that's enough. But it was kind of cool because I was, like, writing her, like, as like as she is. And I was, like, considering putting more of the culture in, but I'm, like, am I doing this to prove she's Korean or am I doing this for the plot? And it was definitely, like, oh, I'm doing it to prove she's Korean. And I don't necessarily need to do that. Yeah, that, that's really cool. So in your book, Gear Breakers, the capital city of Godolia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it seems an awful lot like a really bad America. <laughs> in our world, people perceive they have freedoms, but sometimes we realize we see the machines that we're living under of capitalism and all these things. Was that your intent when you were writing about Godolia? Yeah, I definitely like... It's very classic sci-fi setting where it's like you have the the nuclear fried spot of a planet and then you have like like a city 
like a very sleek metropolis, like eating up all the resources. But just like theme wise, like something I put like very consciously as a theme in Gearbreakers is like defund the military because it's like this nation is like you're the only ones left on the planet. You just keep pumping out megas. There's no one there. <laughs> like I just really wanted to like up the satire of it, but also like this is also like really dark and like please take greater American themes from that. Fascinating. Yeah, that that was like probably the most like blatant thing. I will very happily say that. <laughs> well, and the character is essentially a part of the machine, right? Because she gets, her body is augmented yeah. to run the machine yeah. or the mechs, the, the deities. So she is essentially a part of this thing. Yeah, it's like this, I wanted the concept to be like, like it's only black and white because you're born on the side of black and or white, like Godolia or the gear breakers. And it's like, in Godolia, it's like, it's this thing where like, oh my gosh, like the government is so merciful because they're giving us the chance to become gods. And like Sona, of course, is like secretly like not from Godolia originally. Um, so she has that kind of, she's like out of perspective to be like this entire thing is like really, really flawed. And like, you can't even see like what they're doing to you. Um, they're like dangling divinity in front of you. And like they're you're really like exchanging your morality for that. And you can't even tell because you're like, you're told it's like a mercy. And it's like also like the off factor of it so like yeah when she gets augmented um because she, she is trying to get revenge it's like it is like this reflection like physically that she is getting like corrupted um in her head too because she is like she is giving in to like her harsher aspects because she does want revenge so badly but it, she does like in some part like let that happen to herself because it's like just the kind of world that that she's in yeah kind of like a victim and surviving in the world that that's presented to you. But there's, to me, a lot of symbolism, though, about how much of her is still human and her, how much is now the machine and the greater society that she's a part of. And she has these conflicts, right? In your view, what's the purpose of staying in touch with your humanity if you're in this world with all this high tech? I think humanity, like, at least in terms of Gearbreakers, is like, it definitely stems from, like, human relationships. Like, what do we mean to each other? And maybe, like, what do we owe to one another? Or, like, what could we mean to each other is also, like, the possibility side of it. Um, which is also, like, that's also kind of easy because it's also, like, a plot point where it's just, like, oh, now you have more to fight for or die for. But, you know, I, I do take it. I do take that part seriously. And it's, like, it's also, like... You know, just like the the little the little intimate scenes where like the kids are just hanging out and they're just being kids, like also just like very fun to write. I'm like, you know, like I was trying to convey like no matter how bad the world gets with all like this evil technology and like all these things that like want to kill them, like they're still good. Like mm. there's like all this bad and there's always still gonna be good despite it. Did you know Traverse Talks is also on YouTube? To watch full episodes with closed captions, search Northwest Public Broadcasting on YouTube and subscribe so you never miss an episode. So at a young age you're published, how do you stay grounded? Because to me, as a layperson, it's like, oh my gosh, a published author at such a young age, is there now more pressure to do more great successful stories. There's 
a part of it that's definitely like oh my gosh like definitely motivated by the money of it and I really have to like um just like the check-ins that I'm like doing this because I enjoy it and not because I'm like trying to make a living type of thing because I'm like I can definitely tell like when I'm reading a book like is the author enjoying themselves like writing it um and so there's sometimes I need to step back because I do get stressed about the money of it and be like, no, this is like really what I want to do. And I'm like, if the money is tight in the future, that's fine because it's just like I'm getting getting so much happiness from it, honestly. So I'm like, I'll figure it out in the future. Like I just have to like trust in it and like trust that like, you know, everything else will work out because like I'm putting this amount of energy in the universe. So I think it'll all pan out. I like that. But I'm also curious because of what I know of Korean culture that not a lot of conservative traditional Korean folks let their kids pursue happiness. So <laughs> how is that possible for you and your mom? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I have a really good relationship. Like my mom's, you know, she's she's American. She immigrated here from South Korea when she was nine. So she grew up here, um, like still fluent in Korean, but definitely like has a different perspective on things than maybe her mom does. Um, mm. And my aunt was telling my mom, like, you can tell that we've achieved the American dream because our kids can like be artists. How did that make you feel when you heard that? I just feel like incredibly lucky that I'm like able to pursue that. Like I have the appreciation for their perspective because I know that's not the perspective that they were growing up with from their parents. Mm. Um, it was never really a thing of like, oh, I'm going to college to study English. It was never a thing of like, maybe you should like go into business school or something. <laughs> right. It's like, like, I don't know how I would, <laughs> I don't know how I would have handled that. <laughs> well, how are you, how can you, how are you juggling college with writing? I really just have to like, put myself through the organization of it because um, that's completely manageable. And it's just like I got really lucky because writing is something that de-stresses me. So it definitely doesn't feel like work when I'm drafting. When I'm editing, it's like, oh, my gosh. Different Oh, thing. my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> when you're drafting, though, you're kind of in a flow. Yeah, I'm um, I'm really bad at writing synopses and like outlines and stuff because I like don't know what's going to happen until I like start going with it, which is why I like my first drafts are like such wrecks, which is why I hate editing. It's like it feeds into it, but definitely like I've tried I've tried to sit down and do the outline and be, and I'm like I can't I just can't budge with it. So I really think it's good for the for those who are interested in writing to know that this published author just sits down and does it, almost like Jack Kerouac who sat at the typewriter and just let it all out. Because sometimes our thinking brains are, you know, interfere. Oh, you're making a mistake. Oh, you spelt that wrong or this isn't the way you want it to go. So when you are in this mode of drafting, do those voices in your head, are they there or they kind of just go with you? Yeah, something I'm really trying to, like, work out of myself is um, the need to, like, edit as I go. Because I'm like, that is not productive. Because, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, if, like, I edit as I go, then it's, like, less work later. Ha, ha, ha. But it, like, always ends up being the same amount of work later. And I just need to get over myself. Which is why, um, like, the short story class I'm taking now is really helpful because, like, our thing is that, like, we have, like, one short story that we're, like, workshopping the entire quarter. 
but it's like what we turn in as our revisions. So it's like encouraging like messy first drafts. And I'm like, okay, I'm just really trying to solidify that for myself. Um, even I guess like just in general, I like, try not to be a perfectionist with it because it's like when I'm editing, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's so messy that like this whole thing was just a waste of time. And then I like really need to, I like literally like have a conversation with myself where I'm like, okay, this is like all practice. I just like the direction I'm going is more important than like how many like messy steps I'm like taking to get there. Ah, so. You're in a place where maybe other young aspiring writers would love to be in. What kind of advice would you give them to continue their craft, maybe even get published? I would say like above all else, you definitely have to be writing for yourself because if you are bored with your piece, you can you, you can tell, your readers can tell. Um, and also just like if you're not having fun with it, why wouldn't you have fun with it? Hmm. If you're going to do any art, it should be the art you get most kick out of, most entertainment. Tell me, <laughs> what did it feel like when you got your published book? I remember I got a big box from my publisher, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's my hard copies, my hard copies. And then I brought the box into my room, and I have, like, a really tiny room, and it was a big box. And I literally, like, it was just in the middle of my room unopened for, like, a week. And I was like, I can't open it. Really? So there was a bit of hesitation, right? Yeah. A bit, a week. A week hesitation because the final product was in front of you, this thing that you created. And so I'm wondering, is it because, I don't know, a vulnerability of like seeing it in the real world, knowing that you put this out there for others? Yeah, I think it was just a thing where it's hard to conceptualize because I had nothing physical and everything that like all the... um, business relationships I had were like over email and phone so I'm like haha I'm like definitely getting scammed it's like a big like it's a big joke to everyone I was like telling everyone like I like I know it's not a scam and I'll know it's real when the book's in my hands but I think it was like a thing it's like what if the book's in my hands and I like still don't believe it and honestly that was kind of what happened is that I opened the box and I'm like staring at the books I'm like it's right in front of me I don't know I don't know. It definitely, like, it just took a few weeks to seep in. And what happened is that, like, my book launch came all around and my mom organized something with her whole side of the family. And it was, like, just such a blast. And I, like, finally felt myself, like, relax into it. I was like, okay. It's, like, kind of cool. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for talking to us about your book, Gear Breakers. And we're looking forward to the sequel. Uh, will you give us the title? Yes, it's God Slayers. Um, and thank you so much for having me. This is very cool. That was fun. Ah, oh, thank you. That was Zoe Hannah Makuda, author of Gear Breakers. Thanks so much for listening and also for sharing, downloading, and subscribing. This is Traverse Talks. I'm Sue Ann Ramella. Oh, 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 oh,